This OPI podcast was recorded at an earlier date. Some material may be outdated and or mentioned under different circumstances. Consult your local health authorities for the latest on COVID-19. The Car Guys Report Informed Automotive is up next, but first, take a listen to this other fine OPI show. This is Minutia Men with Rick and Dave. Minutia Men on the Radio Misfits. Today on this week's Minutia Men, we're talking about Nazi stuff. Oh, and then we're talking talking about a cub, because we do that. We have an interview with the guy. Or girl. We don't even It's Mark Cuban. We're interviewing celebrities. Ooh. What's the Minutia Men celebrity interview? Ooh, we clearly we're all in a great place for this. We're just <laughs> we're spending like a full minute ripping on Minutia Men. The only reason we even exist, the only reason this whole goddamn network exists, I swear. The best thing this show has going for it right now is that it's on the same network as Minutia Men. <laughs> And friends. An Opai show on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. Great Talk Radio isn't dead. It just moved to a better place. Radiomisfits.com. The following is a Tony Lasano podcast, an Opai show on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. This is the Car Guys Report, Informed Automotive. Thanks so much for taking us along for the ride. Certainly glad to have you with us. I'm Mark Vernon. Uh, Luke Hostable taking a couple of days off here on the Car Guys Report, but we've got our man in the field, Roger Rexroad, in the studio remotely uh, today on the Car Guys Report. And uh, we covered... Well, cars that define a decade in the last episode, uh, and we're doing part two of Cars That Define a Decade with Roger on this episode of the Car Guys Report. And Roger, as I said at the top of uh, the last episode in part one, I said I was a little lukewarm to this um, topic when you originally proposed it, but then I really started getting into it once we got it scheduled, and we just had a great time in in part one. We covered uh, the 1930s through the 1970s, and we're ready to uh, start with the 1980s, but before we do that, since you're the detailer around uh, these parts, you're a jack of all trades, it seems, at some time, Um, and you know- I'm a backyard detailer. you're, You're the what? I'm a backyard detailer. I'm not you are, a well, I know, I know, but you, but you were one of these guys that, I mean, my, my earliest recollection of you, Roger, is it was about five years ago. Um, I think it was the first one of the first car shows I had the uh, Aston Martin at, and you were, and this was really before I knew who you were, and you still had your Fiat Abarth, and you were walking around cleaning people's rims and tires with your little hand pump there. Do you remember yeah. that? Yeah, that's a, it's called a quasar. It, it, it sprays uh, once when you pull the trigger, and then it sprays again when you let go. Okay, see? So, ladies and gentlemen, I mean, that's more than just your regular backyard detailer. A guy that walks around cleaning your rims at a car show, what more could you ask for? It was great. So, <laughs> <laughs> But I did want to say that, you know, over this past uh, winter, I... Uh, was able to get six of my cars uh, ceramic coated um, with the, and we've talked about the ceramic spray and I still don't know um, you know the long term durability of it because none of the cars that I've ceramic coated have really been exposed really pretty much to the elements but I got to tell you the um, the the 58 Impala looks fantastic and and the the, the shine that the ceramic imparts is amazing and it really makes the chrome shine like crazy it's amazing so wow. yeah, it's it's unreal. It's it really is. Um, 
all all the cars that I did look look really good. So I'm. Did you prep the chrome at all before you put? No, it all I did is I no, all I did was I. I mean, I washed and clayed everything. So if when I clay the car, I I do the. Um, the synthetic clay, I don't use the little bar. I use the, the stuff that's impregnated mm. into the sponge so you can get every surface of the car, all the glass, right. all the, everything. So I, I did that, and then just two coats of ceramic, and it looks great. So, Well, I will tell you, I know you care more about the protection part, but um, on some of your cars, like I love your Aston Martin. I, I, that car, I would... I don't know if you've done that car, but yeah. you you're gonna get, you'll get even more out of the product if you do a little prep work to the paint itself with a, with a with even a light polishing because it'll the clay bar gets that grit out, but the the polishing will will level the clear coat and you'll get much more uh, reflectivity out of it. And then when you put the ceramic product on top, it just amps that up even more. Okay, yeah. Well, like I said, I'm done with I'm done with it now. I mean. Um... <clears throat> the paint didn't seem too bad. I know the clay um, seemed to, you know, have taken out a lot of the, the stuff that was on there, but there wasn't really that much to begin with. But I'm happy with the results, and I'm probably not as fanatic as you are uh, with detailing. I like to just get my cars reasonably clean and, and, and shined up, and then and then I, I keep them maintained with, um, you know, speed shine or waterless car wash type of things. I don't really right. hand bucket and hand wash them that often, but, um, <clears throat> you know, the most of the time they're inside the, the, the car guys report warehouse anyway. So they're not uh, exposed to the outside. I'm going to go over some stuff with you one day, just, uh, just to help you along. I'd like to just uh, be, I like to be very helpful because if you watch somebody do something, you might see something they're doing wrong and it just to sure. help them along. No, that's great. I mean, that's, that's the kind of guy you are, Roger. And that's why you're a man in the field. You're always supplying the, uh, the program here with, uh, interesting insights and tidbits and, and you know you're always texting us too, which I like. So <laughs> that's why you're in the that's why you're in the co-pilot seat here today. You're 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 living the dream, I guess is one way to say it. <laughs> if you like uh, what you hear on the Car Guys Report, Informed Automotive, be sure to tell a friend, as Roger has done, about our program. You can follow us at Car Guys Podcast on Twitter. We're available online at radiomisfits.com. and also you can email us at any time. Car Guys Report at hotmail.com is our email address cars that define a decade mark vernon along with our man in the field roger Rexroad. the 1980s um i don't have quite uh as long of a list in the 80s and 90s uh to be up front with you i'm not exactly I'm sure help, why i'm gonna help you i'm gonna help you out with maybe because maybe because it was kind of a malaise <laughs> that set in in the 80s and 90s with certain vehicles. I'm not exactly uh, sure why, but... Um, well, the 80s are a bigger deal than the 70s because you have the computer technology started coming up. Vaguely, though. Not a lot. I mean, you had stuff like the Lambda system that, that Saab helped pioneer with the oxygen sensors and the feedback loops and things like that, but you didn't really start getting the the, the big ECU, you know, engine control unit um, type stuff until... Still really the 90s, I think, but <clears throat> excuse me. I'll start with the really small stuff first, uh, stuff that you alluded to when you're talking about the 70s. Uh, and these aren't necessarily high water marks from the 80s, but I think it's cars that people can relate to. The Chevy Citation and the Chevy Chevette. And the Chevette was also produced as a Pontiac T1000, which was... Uh, <laughs> 
basically a really crappy car, right? Yes, it was. I mean, uh, uh, an anemic iron block, uh, four-cylinder motor, rear-wheel drive, uh, crappy build quality, just a a car that was very fuel-efficient, but not much else, really. And the Chevy Citation was supposed to be a groundbreaking car along with the um, Chrysler K cars. Um, Front-wheel drive, four-cylinder, usually four-cylinder, although you could get the V6s in uh, the Citations. And they had, the, they had the Chevy Citation X11, which had a, a 2.8 liter V6 yep. with a two barrel carburetor, and it also had a a functioning towel induction hood where it had a little hole in the hood where it would draw air from the outside. That's a very rare car. The the Citation. I, I remember the X11. I do remember that. I didn't know it had a, an actual like a ram air or cowl induction. That's pretty cool, on the, actually. On the, on, on the X11, they also made a Hot Wheel version of that car. <laughs> now, Roger, you keep talking about all these Hot Wheel versions. Do you have any of these, or have you just seen them? I, not anymore. I I sold off my Hot Wheel collection uh, a long time ago, and my my friends uh, collect Hot Wheels. And you regret just, selling yours every every minute, though, right? Uh, well, whatever. It's just, you know, I had a lot of them, so. I had a lot, too. I had a lot of matchboxes from the 60s and 70s. I had HO race cars, which I wish I still had. <laughs> All that stuff that we wish we still had. But uh, the Chevy mm-hmm. Citation, yeah, just a, kind of a miserable car overall. Garbage. Um, yeah, they had a brake issue right away. That car debuted in 1980, and they had a, a – I was 10 years old, and I my dad used to well, – my late dad uh, worked for General Motors, and he uh, subscribed to Motor Trend magazine, and I remember there being a big recall on the – the braking system on the uh, the, uh, the X cars. Okay, how about the uh, another classic from the from the mid to late eighties, the uh, Chevrolet Beretta. Oh, that yeah, that came out like in uh, eighty seven, eighty eight. Yeah, yeah, eighty. Well, they were they were uh, they had mules running around in eighty seven, but just uh, that was a little bit better, obviously, than a. Um, in the X11, but there was just a lot of trial and error in the 80s with those little cars. They, we we were so far behind the Japanese that you needed a, a, a pair of binoculars to see them. Well, behind the Japanese in what way, though? Quality? Overall quality? That's what I always think. Quality, absolutely. That's what people... Cause it, in the, in the 80s, people were remembering those cars, those little Japanese cars in the 70s, and they're like, you know what? I'm going to keep buying those cars because they're reliable and they're fuel efficient and they don't let me down. So that's when they really built their reputation. And, and unfortunately, we, we didn't have that reputation. Well, yeah, and we're th- still playing catch up. I think that kind of cemented, uh, as you said, they it built the Japanese reputation where I look at it as being people looking at a car as an appliance and not as something that's that's fun to drive. It starts every time. It gets me from point A to point B. And that's all I care about, you know, right. and that way it, it's like an appliance. It's like a, a range or a refrigerator. It just does a job and that's it. So there's no, there's no, uh, uh, character. There's no soul. There's no, you know, excitement about it. But for the, you know, vast majority of, of people that, that need a car and drive, that's what they were looking for. And, you know, that's what the Japanese really seem to zero in on. And but as you said, too, though, eventually it, it, it kind of kicked the American makers into gear saying, hey, we have to up our game and, and start competing effectively. One thing I was going to ask you about the Beretta, what I always remember is supposedly the doors would fall off. 
or the hinges, something I with the door do hinges. Remember you don't remember that? that? I always heard oh. about that. That's I, I mean, when I say fall off, you know, people, it's not like they're going to fall off while you're driving, but I don't know if it's something with the hinges that would fail or something, but that's the one thing I remember about about the Beretta, and I don't know if it's an urban legend or whatever, but they said that the, the, the doors would fall off. And then um, another car that, again, this is something that GM has kind of... I don't know if they started it with the with the Fiero, but it was one of the cars that I remember when the Fiero first debuted. It was a pretty pretty miserable car, but then within like three years or five years or whatever it was, by the time they got it right, GM pulls the plug on it. Well, that's very typical General Motors. Exactly, that's, is it? Yeah, they, and and it wasn't a, just with the Fiero, right? It yeah, was, they, they uh, the, the '88 uh, Fiero GT had a good track, five speed. It had the better had the, the V6. And then they, and then the car also looked better. The the the, the eight had the sail panels on it. Yeah, the eight. Yeah, the eighty-seven, eighty-eight uh, Fiero GT is a good-looking car. It was awesome-looking. Yeah. When you when so I've been talking about engineering, and I was talking about how great the Japanese cars were. But for but in my opinion, for the nineteen eighties, when it came to engineering, it started with. Audi with the Quattro because yep. they really they what they applied with the Quattro was win on Sunday sell on Monday so the Quattro came out of uh, Group B rally racing and they they the Audi um, I can't remember his name but it there was a little Volkswagen um, military vehicle called the Iltis yeah and that and so he experimented with that by putting. You know, a, a turbocharged small four-cylinder engine, and then and it com- they tr- they completely trucked the competition in the first two years of Group B racing, and everybody, all the other manufacturers there and that were participating in Group B were playing catch-up, and then their cars started getting it. So it's. And then think about it. I mean, when you say Audi, it's Quattro. But I mean, that's the first thing you. Say oh, sure. They, they, well, they Audi. were they were smart to brand that 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 name as their all-wheel drive system, and back then in the early '80s, it was like revolutionary for most people. Thinking like, I mean, a car can have all-wheel drive. That's really cool. And I mean, you you had a lot of manufacturers playing catch up at that, but even. Uh, uh, Nissan with the uh, the GTR that uh, the R32 GTR that was you know forbidden fruit that we didn't get here in the United yeah. States. those cars those cars had all wheel drive and they won they cleaned up in in uh, a tour, uh, touring car racing back then so it it trickled down but it all started with them um, you know but when it comes to the 80s we're, we're in our last episode we were talking about poster cars. For me, the, the the cars that exemplify the 1980s, it's a it's a coin flip between the Ferrari F40 and the Porsche 959. So the Porsche mm-hmm. 959, since we're talking about Group B, the Porsche 959 is also a derivative of what Porsche was doing to compete in Group B. They pulled the plug in Group B rally racing in 1986 after a series of tragic accidents. So they had all this technology in their car. They're like, well, let's do something with it. And then they came out with the Porsche 959. That car had a very complicated four-wheel drive system. It was also, I believe, the first car to have TPMS sensors. It had adjustable suspension. It had hollow-spoke alloy wheels. 
Yes, that's right. And uh, and I believe the tires had Kevlar in them. Uh, the body had. I thought the body had Kevlar carbon fiber parts, bits and pieces. I, the tires are supposed to be very expensive for that car, but you're probably right about that as well. The it was super, super high tech. I mean, even today when you look at what they did, that their yeah. engineering was it was beyond, you know, everything. Well, what? so as I alluded to in other episodes, the mid-year Corvette is my favorite. So I would say, like, the mid-year Corvette is my, my wife. So my side, <laughs> my, my, my side piece is the Porsche 911, the 930s in particular. When you look at a 959, you can see 911. Oh, yeah. But when, when you get down to the aerodynamics of a 959, that car was out of this world, and it was always between the 959. So it may not have looked as exotic as... No, it always looked a little tacked on. It wasn't really that attractive of a car. It looked kind of kind of heavy and it wasn't heavy but it looked kind of just dowdy a little bit with the with the arrow right. stuff on there but everything was on there for a purpose but right and the purpose is is for a reason when a corvette of the same era or same time made 240 horsepower yeah this car made 450 yep, yep. and then the and then the ferrari f40 that's the last Ferrari that was commissioned before Enzo Ferrari passed away, and that car was rated at 478 horsepower, but they actually made 500. Yeah, and that was a 2.9 liter V8 with twin turbo because Ferrari everything was naturally aspirated, and then for this car, twin turbo, and those cars when you think of the 80s, and you know um, I'm a child of the 80s, and I think of excess from the 80s well you could not have any more excess than the f40 and the 959 along with big hair right and velcro walls <laughs> and Diddy combs in the back pocket I, I wanted to backtrack here a little bit going back to the audi quattros because that was on my list um <clears throat> the ones that came out they came out uh actually started shipping here i believe in 83 uh they had a five-cylinder turbo in there all-wheel drive um the first versions are the ones that are called basically they're, they're referred to as the ur series because that, yeah, Ur- yeah, yeah because they had uh the short wheelbase ones that weren't officially sold here that came out later but this one was basically the, the same body style as a 5000 gt car which Audi sold for a brief period of time. And a friend of mine actually had one back in, I want to say the early 90s. Uh, he he bought it. Uh, it was a good car. Um, it was Mars Red, which is kind of that orangey red uh, yep. color. Very common had a color for very dark uh, chocolate brown leather interior. And it had like the auxiliary gauge pack on the dashboard. So extending out from the uh, regular instrument binnacle, it had an extra like three or four gauges on the side. In a, It was a factory thing, but it was an option coming off of there. So he had those. And I remember his serial number was like number... It was super low. It was like number. They only brought in like very, the very first ones they brought in. They only brought in like fifty the first year or a hundred, something really low. And his was like number twenty or something like that. It was really really cool. And unfortunately, he doesn't have that car anymore because it actually got stolen. But um, 
really, really neat car, and that's like the one car that he wishes I think he still had because, um, you know, the, the prices have, haven't gone crazy on those cars. You can get them in the 30 ish thousand dollar range um right and a lot of them i don't know if they've been beat on or or whatever it's hard to to know exactly what to find what to look for in, in the ur quattros but they didn't just they didn't sell that many of them here but it was a it was a groundbreaking car at the time and that's definitely on my list um so even more rare than the ur quattro as you referred to the other car the, the, the short wheelbase that's oh yeah yeah uh, that's called the Sport Quattro, yeah. and that 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 was a, a rail a Group E rally homologation special. They made uh, 215 of those cars from 1985 to 86. Okay, in, in the mid 80s, it had a window sticker price of eighty thousand wow. dollars. It was more. It was more. I looked this up and I read about it. It was more expensive than a Lamborghini. Yeah, I mean that'd be about three over three hundred thousand today. About three to four well, that's, times that's the about price. What they yeah, sell, that's about what they sell for now. At auction, I actually got to. I actually, yes, I actually got to see my buddy Hector and I were at uh, Cars and Coffee that you go to in Winnetka, and there was a a dark green one. Okay, and it was parked next. It was parked. It was parked next to a modern Lamborghini. And <laughs> with me have with me having my big mouth, I was like, "Why is everybody looking at this Lamborghini?" <laughs> they should be looking at this one. Yeah, <laughs> I always thought the Sport Quattros looked really cool, but they almost looked a little too stubby, you know, because the wheelbase was so. That's what. But not only did it look stubby, the, don't forget the, the all the fenders were blistered on yeah. that car. So that car, it looked like a comic book hero. Yeah. What it looked. Yeah. Like. Yeah. It, it was. It is definitely a, a cool car, and and. and as a watchword for people that are listening, our listeners, you know, if you see one at a car show, pay attention to it because you're not going to see another one uh, anytime soon. Um, I wanted to touch on the Porsches for um, the 80s. Um, The 959, obviously. um, I kind of felt that for the 80s as far as uh, cars that define a decade, or this would say, I would say brand, um, you know, Porsche had a lot going on in the 80s. They had the 924, which was originally destined to be a, an Audi or a VW, um, mainly an Audi. But Porsche took it over and decided to, to sell it, you know, uh, you know, with 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 I think that it had an Audi engine in it. I don't know if it was actually a Porsche engine originally, but they went on to make variations. They made the 924 Turbo. The 944 came out. Variations on that, of course, 944 Turbo. The 928s came out very late. 70s, 78, 79, but really yeah. made their mark in the 80s, uh, up to and including the 928 S4, as we <laughs> texted back and forth Thank a couple of... You're that. welcome. That, yeah, that's okay. That. I know, I know. I wasn't trying to be uppity. I was just saying it's no, S4. No, okay. If I'm wrong, I'm wrong. I, got the, I, got the, I just got the letters and numbers yeah. switched around. Yeah, that, that, but that, don't understand forget the 940... Don't forget about the 944 also spawned the 968. Which was the oddball. That had the three-liter four-cylinder engine in it, and they made a uh, hardtop and a convertible version of that car. And that actually— well, the headlights look like a 928. Yeah, it's just that was a weird car. And uh, yeah. actually, Scott Crane, who, is, who has been a guest on the uh, Car Guys Report, he has one of those cars. He's got a 920, or 968 uh, convertible, black, and I think he still has it because he, he uh, buys and sells his cars like he changes his clothes. But, um, <laughs> but it's, uh, yeah, I mean, a three-liter four-cylinder, that, that's the thing that just 
is just oddball to me. I mean, that thing's got to have a lot of torque. Yeah, it's got to have it's got to have some torque to it. But um, you know, then the nine eleven though, I think is kind of when the nine eleven really started to come into its own in the in the eighties with the nine eleven SC, and I think that's when people again. I, I'm not a big pop culture person, but. I, I enjoy when I see a crossover, and I think that's when people started recognizing a 911 as like this iconic car. Like if you say Porsche, what's the first thing the they think car. of? Yeah, well, not even car. yuppie, but it's just you know, even today, if you say Porsche, most people are going to think of a 911. You know, that's right. I do. Yeah, <laughs> I don't think they're going to th- necessarily think of a Cayenne or a Macan, even though those nope. outsell the 911s like three to one. But, but yeah, the 911 is the iconic thing they think of, and I think it really started to come into its own in the uh, in the 80s because the, the SCs are awesome cars, and of course it's the air cooled era too, where um, you know Porsche just started getting more power out of them. They started tweaking them. It was the evolution of the great design, and plus all the other stuff they had going on too. Like you were talking about the 959. And then the 924, the 944, the 928. They just had all kinds of stuff going on. And I'm glad they survived because those are some of the sketchy years, too, when they didn't know if Porsche was going to continue as an independent or I don't even know who owned them back then. I mean, it's so many of these things where, you know, what car saved what company at what time and things like that. But I know Volkswagen, Audi, and Porsche were under the same umbrella sometime in the 80s. They were. Then then they went their separate ways. Of course, they're backed again now, but. You know they tried the, the, they tried to kill the 911 so many times like with the you know the 924 came out in 1976 the 928 came out in 78 and they were just hoping and praying that it would replace the 911 but the car just it, it wouldn't die. Go away. Yeah. Well, it's, it's because I think. Glad for it. Yeah, I think it's because they know they had something that was unique and 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 special. And they were able to just continually refine it. And, I mean, to me, that's that's what really the mark of a great car is, the fact that you start with such a solid design and you can just refine it without completely changing it. And, uh, again, you know, I mean, I don't want to get off on this topic, but, you know, that's kind of what where we are with the C8 Corvette right now. It's like, okay, well, you took a design, oh, you've boy. completely went overboard. But uh, not to belabor that point, I got just a couple more uh, cars here I want to talk about in the 80s, then we can move on to the 90s. But we touched on the Mazda RX-7. Uh, that kind of came into its own during the 80s, uh, reliable rotary power. The Mazda Miata, of course, was introduced late 89 or late 80s, 89. Um, in Japan. In Ju- oh, is that when it came out in Japan? The 90 here, right? It, it, it came out in 1990. Here. Yeah. There's so many that are like on the cusp. So that's why, you know, it's sometimes do I put it in the 80s or the 90s? But that was kind of the rebirth of the small two-seat roadster like the Alfa Romeo uh, Spider and things like that. Plus, But it was had... Japanese reliability and, and things like that. Actually, real quick, before I forget, this is one that I wanted to write down, and I didn't. In the 70s, going back to the last episode, one car we completely neglected, and I just want to mention it, was the uh, Datsun 240Z. We actually totally didn't talk about that in the well, 70s, and it's like... That that car, if you look at a uh, if you look at a Datsun 240Z, it came out in, it was, came out in 1969, but in 1970 here, yeah, uh, that was a, that was a poor man's E-type. It was. It was just. I, I mean, talk about iconic. It still looks good today when you see one. 
Unbelievable. Oh, they're beautiful. Yeah, they are. So anyway, beautiful. I just, I just, that was one of the ones that I was trying to remember that I wanted to write down my list and I didn't. And I started talking about uh, Japanese sports cars. So there you go. Yeah. And then, uh, of course, the C4 Corvette came out in 1984, that there is no 1983 Corvette because they were trying to get it out in 83 and they, they were sorting things out. The, the C4 was considered the first modern VET because it had the space frame chassis with the sheet molded compound, i.e. plastic panels attached to that space frame, had the completely uh, updated uh, Crossfire V8 um, you know, was this considered a completely refreshed design? Uh, had ABS brakes and and um, you know just a bunch of stuff that um, <clears throat> Corvettes didn't have before. A- ABS. Uh, I don't think they had ABS in '84. No, I was just going to say ABS uh, came out in the, for the 1986 model, okay. and then the uh, the Crossfire injection uh, thankfully only made it for the 1984 model because it made a whole 205 horsepower. Yeah, my Hyundai, my Hyundai Elantra makes more power than that. But then, the, like so, you, you alluded to earlier, then they went up to what 240. Uh, for 1985, it had tuned port injection. It went from 205 to I believe 215, 220. Then it went up to 230. And then it, it by the end of the run for the, like, by the end of the 1980s, the car made about 240. Okay, yeah. But it was considered, I mean, the handling on that car and the, and the overall performance was considered pretty revolutionary for the time. So that's why I wanted to put the C4 in the, in the 80s. But then as we go to 1990, well, it'll also make an appearance again, too. So Well... Real quick, you're talking about the, the the 80s with the Corvette. Yeah, it it it, it came into its own. It, it it became a little more of a world class car. But let's really talk about the. Uh, and this is like an honorable mention for me. Sure. And it, it's it's a car that I I didn't have a a GNX, but I had a Grand National. The 1987 GNX mm-hmm. was the only car that was fat, the production car that was faster was a, a 911 Turbo. Mm-hmm. That car was just a, an icon. And, and I mean, it's even no, it is. Now no, you're right. It, it, and it really is the last muscle car. Because you know, I got to tell you, I know they make the Dodge Challenger, and that, that actually is a muscle car. The Camaro and the Mustang, maybe in today's terms, it's a muscle car. But in my opinion, the GNX was the last, muscle car. Ladies and gentlemen, you heard it here first on the Car Guys Report Informed Automotive, our man in the field Roger Rex Road going on record saying that the Buick GNX from 1987 was the last true muscle car. <laughs> Absolutely. And we're going to get an email on that, carguysreport at hotmail.com, right? <laughs> Don't forget, I did say the challengers are muscle cars because the the the, you know, the, it, it's such a big, big, bulbous car, but the original Challengers were actually pony cars, so I'm putting a little asterisk next to it, so I'm, I'm, it, it's all open for debate. We're all car people. We can have a conversation, but the Challenger, the, Camar- you know, the Camaro, the Firebird, and the Mustang, those are all pony cars. They're not muscle cars. Yeah. And then one so other... What, what, Hold on, real quick. Yeah. This, this is this is this is the definition of a muscle car. You look at the sixty. You look at the sixty-four GTO. It was based on a Tempest. It was a mid-sized car yeah. with a high-performance drivetrain. 
the Buick Grand Nationals, the T-Type, the GNX, was based on what? A Buick Regal midsize car, high-performance drivetrain. It's not negotiable. Okay. There you go. We're going to take a quick break here. We'll be right back. Lasano and friends. Happy to be here today. Cheryl Scott, meteorologist. Hi, Fred Winston, Chicago radio guy. I'm Rob Hart in Chicago. How about that weather? This is a good show to do that. Yeah, what the hell, man? It's, uh, <laughs> I Don't blame the messenger. I'm not blaming the messenger. That's <laughs> got to be the worst part about being a meteorologist. They blame you for the for, for the sun or the snow or right. whatever. I'm so. like everyone's best friend when it's sunny in seven days. <laughs> And like yesterday, it was everyone's worst friend. Yeah. But I know that weather changes so dramatically. We do seven-day forecasts. And right. I go, well, seven days, it sometimes changes seven times in those seven days. <laughs> <laughs> but science is getting more and more accurate. Oh, it does. So has the Earth been knocked off its axis? I, I, I keep hearing stuff uh, about that. Uh, from the conspiracy idiots at 3 o'clock in the morning. And that's exactly what we'll go with. Masano and Friends. Great talk radio isn't dead. It just moved to a better place. Radiomisfits.com And we're back. One other uh, vehicle that we have to add in the 80s, and um, I don't want to belabor the point, but the minivan, the Chrysler minivan, definitely was era-defining because we had the large family wagons in the 1960s, which kind of defined the family truckster, family hauler. Then we had the conversion vans of the 70s and the 80s. Chrysler changed everything with the minivan. Front-wheel drive, uh, compact, exterior dimensions, but very large, uh, you know, decent interior space, uh, good fuel economy, more maneuverable, and it basically took the place of, of the station wagon. That's when the, when the family station wagon basically just faded away. I originally had the Chrysler K car for the 1980s for engineering because, number one, it saved Chrysler the first time they were bankrupt. But yeah. if you look at the K car, you had a cheap car that we were coming out of a recession that people could afford. And then the, you had the Aries K and the Reliant. Then yep. they made the minivan out of it. Yep. They made the Chrysler six, the Dodge 600, the Dodge Caravelle. The, I, I can't even think. They made so many cars off of that platform. How about the LeBaron? Wasn't the LeBaron the, part of I that? Think, I think I think the, the, the LeBaron, the 87 LeBaron, I believe, was... I'm not sure if that's, a, if that's the K platform, but... They made so many cars off of that platform. It's incredible. Yeah, well, that's the way you ramp up economies of scale and 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 start making money. <laughs> you know. Well, they and they paid the they paid the loan back. They early, did. So yep. No harm, no 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 fail there. Yep. So the 1990s, Roger, I probably had the most, the hardest time for some reason coming up with cars from the 90s. Maybe because it, as I kind of alluded to in the 80s, it was kind of lackluster. Um, Getting back to the C4 Corvette again, I'm biased because I own one. I have a 92, uh, which was uh, the first year for the LT1 V8, which uh, generated 300 horsepower, 330 pound-feet of torque, um, completely re-engineered that engine. It has a reverse flow cooling system. My car has ABS brakes. It has a Bosch, uh, early version of a Bosch um, traction control. They call it anti-slip regulation and actually it's so crude that it's basically it's some sort of computer control but it actually has cables so it's mechanical and what happens is if you get a lot of wheel slip you'll actually feel the accelerator pedal kick back at you 
to get your foot off the pedal so you're not um, continuing to uh, to have uh, you know loss of traction. So <laughs> how far we have come, but um, oh, yeah. but the C4 Corvette. The one that people really recognize and remember is the ZR1 uh, with the uh, Mercury um, outboard manufactured uh, 32-valve naturally aspirated V8, 375 horsepower. That car was unbelievable when it came out. I mean, they're saying like, okay, you've already got this chassis and everything. Now you finally got a, an engine that is capable of utilizing what the rest of the car is capable of. And... You can still get a ZR1 pretty darn cheap, maybe 15, 16 grand, 20 grand at the tops. And that's a heck of a car. And that's back in, you know, the, the early 90s that you're getting that kind yeah, of the power. Yeah, uh, the, the ZR1 model uh, came out in 1990. And that the, the way you can differentiate the ZR1 is if you're standing behind it, it's about the it's width wider, of a isn't it? Line. Yeah. And also the rear wheels are 17 by 11 wrapped in a, a 315 35 ZR17 uh, gator back. Yeah, a lot of rubber on the road there. Yeah. Right. It also had adjustable suspension. Uh, mine does, too. Yeah. I, yeah, mine has yeah. the, the root. It, it, again, it's not like the the mag, Magneto mag, Magna ride they have nowadays. It was literally. And also, it had it also had a key that would limit the power. It would only run. Oh, on, one of those. Okay. Yeah, it would run eight of the 16 fuel injectors. Okay. Um, Limit the horsepower to 200. The, um, the, so it's like the valet key kind of yeah. an early version of that. Yeah, the adjustable uh-huh. suspension on my 92, I don't even think it works because all it is is it's, it's really, really crude. It's got Bilstein shocks on it, and, and they're adjustable. They're they're adjustable shocks, and all, all the, the uh, control does, it's, it's like sport track and and normal i can't remember what the three variations are but what's supposed to happen is when you when you select whatever ride you want there's a little um motor solenoid that is um on each shock absorber and it mechanically turns a little gear to change the valving on the shock i mean it's just so yeah, Ford, so crude uh, Ford Ford had that on the uh, the Mustang SVO as well as the uh, I believe the tour the uh, first uh, generation of the Taurus SHO had it. And the same the same like yeah, and it, it worked the same way with just a little gear that a motor that would drive a gear that would actually just click over the the you, shock. You could hear a cl- you could hear a click, but I'm not even going to pretend that I know exactly how. It yeah, is. I don't think mine works because I've tried changing it and it doesn't seem like it does anything. So I assume those those motors or gears might be seized up or something but so here so here come the here come the emails for my pick for yeah. the 1990s <laughs> so we all remember the 1990s i think you'll agree with me a lot of the cars were everything was round like a jelly bean they started getting round yeah kind of uh so faceless my my yes my pick is the mazda miata because when that car came out it took the world by storm sure because did. here is they, they took the the classic British uh, chemistry of a fun two theater no frills sports car with the caveat we because we're Japanese of reliability we reliable. yeah and a, and a decent price That's, I it know, wasn't so this is a funny story my girlfriend in high school was uh, she was uh, working for a beautician and the owner of the uh, hair salon so right in here with the stereotype 
I took the car, my buddy and I took the car for a ride, and the shifter is so short in that car that when I shifted it, I changed the radio station. Wow. I mean, it was just, <laughs> <laughs> but it, it was a fun car. It was a fun car to drive. I've never driven a Miata. Um, you know, I had my, my Alpha Spider, and that was the Quintus. You're pretty Quintus, tall. Yeah, I am. You're pretty tall. I don't know about you. You, well, you probably fit in I there, fit into the, comfortable. you know, I fit into the, into, into the Alpha, which is the classic Italian seating position Miata, of long arm, long, short leg, Miata, long arm. Uh, but yeah, uh, Miata's smaller than that car. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, but you're talking about a guy that also drives a Fiat 500, and I fit in there okay. So, um, but yeah, I should. I, I've never driven a Miata, and um, I'm, I, I, they don't really do anything for me for whatever reason. I, I just, uh, I don't know. I just have no strong desire to own one. I know they're good I cars say that and everything. They revolutionized it. They're, no, they did. They always. There is that one saying they said that on any given weekend that is the most uh, common car race on the planet Earth. Well, because it's cheap, it's reliable, yes, right, right. And there's a reason for that. Yeah, I mean, because racing yeah, gets expensive when you're drive. going through brakes and you know, tires every there weekend. There's something. There's something to be said about driving a slow car fast. And the Miata, uh, the early ones, anyway, is our. That's a. It, it holds true to the T with that car. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with what do that. You think about, what do you think about engineering for the 1990s? Well, I was going to uh, go with uh, a couple of them here. Um, as much as we want to forget it, the uh, Saturn, as a company, was trying to do revolutionary things. They took the space frame that they had on the Corvette, the space frame design, hung uh, sheet-molded plastic panels, and I think we all remember the commercials where um, they showed shopping carts smashing into the sides of the Saturn at the grocery store and and the the panel flexing, and there's no damage because it's plastic. Um, Mm -hmm. And they were trying to introduce a car that was reliable, wouldn't rust, uh, affordable, efficient, and, you know, they built the whole factory down in Tennessee, and it was just something that people had really high hopes for. And, again, it was something that GM just kind of screwed up on because they— Well, GM screwed it up when it be, when the cars became GM cars and not Saturn. Saturn, yeah. Because the the original Saturn, you may not know this, the, the twin cam engine was— uh, um, a version of the Lotus twin cam. Okay, yeah. So GM, GM owned Lotus at the time, and I one thing I remember about Saturn, it was the first six six to nine months of, of production. They put the wrong coolant in the engine. They bought all those cars back and made it right. So wow. they were all about they were all about customers. I remember that. Yeah, that yeah. was a big thing with them, and they had they had such a loyal following. They used to have the gathering down in uh, was it Spring yep. Green, Tennessee, or Spring Spring, uh, Spring Hill, Spring Hill, Tennessee. Yeah, and Hill, Tennessee. and they would get thousands of these Saturn owners to come for this annual hoopla. And they really had something going, and then, like you said, they started diluted. They became opals, right? They they started in the latter part of the, towards the end of Saturn. Well, they, got, they were just basically they opals. Of, yeah, yeah. They got rid of the Saturnness of the yeah. car, and then they brought over the opal Astra. Yeah. And then they they had a car called the L, the Saturn L three hundred, and that had some weird. I remember that. It had some weird voxel or opal engine, and they also used that engine in the. Uh, Cadillac, so yeah, they weren't bad cars, but they yeah, but they watered it down. I mean, that's exactly what what GM did with Saab. You know, they bought fifty percent of the company in the early nineties. They bought yep. the rest in two thousand or, or the latter part of the nineties, and they just became rebadged Opals. Basically, they weren't Saabs anymore, and it's an unfortunate that they kind of you know goofed up Saturn. But I think initially Saturn had 
you know, good prospects, high hopes, and they did have some, you know, relatively decent engineering concepts. Uh, another car <clears throat> that uh, I think is it was high tech at in, for its day was the Mitsubishi 3000 GT, the VR4. That was twin cam, 24 valve um, V6. All-wheel drive, all-wheel steering. I mean, it had it had multiples of everything in that car. It had a great '80s swoopy look. It also had adjustable aero and the front and back. Did it? Too. Yeah, see, oh, the, the front, the front for sure. That car was cool, and they're actually starting to to catch on with collectors now because people are realizing this car was pretty much you know pretty pretty far ahead of its time, and then. Uh, kind of riding on that similar vein, the Mitsubishi Eclipse, the first and second generations, also were produced as the Eagle Talon and the Plymouth Laser. Um, those were all-wheel drive. Those were two-liter turbocharged engines. I mean, that was a lot of car, Available too. Available all-wheel drive. Available all-wheel drive, yeah. But still, the fact that you could get an all-wheel drive turbo four in a car the size of an Eclipse, which was sporty and fun and fast, I mean, that that's some stuff that's kind of era-defining there, I think. Um, that's- so a little, a, little, a little quick story about Eagle Talon. Uh, so back in the uh, 1990s when I, had my, uh, when I had my Grand National, I was on the west side of Detroit watching a little bit of street racing, and there was a, a, a ZR1 and a, a Viper getting – I thought it was the two of them were going to race. I'm like, great, two titans of the time <laughs> are going to race. I ran down the road, so I wanted to see this race on the top end. So I'm watching the headlights come at me, and there's one set of headlights coming at me a lot quicker. And I'm looking, and I'm like, what the heck? And it was an Eagle Talon. Wow. He put about seven car lengths on this Viper. So fast forward a couple months, I had my Grand National at a shop. I was getting a three-inch exhaust put on my Grand National at the shop downriver Detroit area. And that Eagle Talon was there, and I asked the guy, and I said, I, I watched this car annihilate a Viper, and I said, how did that happen? <laughs> we probably said, the boost turned way up. The, yeah, he opened up the hood, and he's like, well, he's got about $15,000 in the end. Wow. And I'm like, what? I'm like, excuse me? So my eyes, you know, like I grew up with muscle cars, so at, at, by the mid-'90s, I was starting to recognize there is a world outside of muscle cars. Yeah. And I think that was, you know, I think the Japanese were doing a good job of it in the 90s, blending, you know, like you said with the Miata and then with, with stuff like the Mitsu 3000 GT and the Eclipse Talon Laser. Well, yeah, the, you, had the, you had the Nissan 300Z. That was twin turbo. Yeah, it was, yeah. yeah. You, now, the, the most iconic car of those, those Japanese cars was the uh, Mazda RX-7 FD. That was twin turbo rotary engine, yep. but... In my opinion, that the style of the RX-7, which is uh, that generation, is called the FD. That's it, the good. Is, that, it, awesome. It's the best it is. car. It, it is. is not even funny. And a guy that I, I worked with back in the 90s uh, raced one of those um, at Blackhawk Farms, and um, he was in a nasty accident with that car. But it wasn't. It was a, a really weird thing that happened where. The one of the brake rotors had cracks in it and literally separated while he was coming down the back straight, hitting probably he was probably hitting about 110, 120. And wow. when he went to put on the brake, there was no rotor there. 
And the percussion when he, I think, I don't know what he hit, but the airbags went off and the percussion from the airbags actually shattered the rear window of the hatch. Yeah. And the car was totaled. Luckily, he got banged up, but he didn't get seriously hurt. But that was just the weirdest thing. But he had that car and he was kicking butt all season in that car because yeah and and i was it was funny that you say that it was the best looking generation of the rx7 because i was just thinking about i was just thinking about that yesterday in anticipation of our program today saying like yeah that that style was awesome because they had that really dowdy looking one for a while and the original one isn't bad but then that weird like three-door thing they brought out later was just an abomination yeah that was goofy but uh, FD or have whatever it's called. Driven, have you ever driven an RX-8? No, I drove an R- a very early RX-7 once, but I never drove. They're supposed to be pretty good dynamically, but I just don't like oh, the idea the that it's a... It, it is. Uh, don't even look at the numbers. Uh, my buddy Hector and I, we, t- we actually were at a, at a car event for Mazda, and we actually, uh, him and I went out with the salesman and took, took that car for rides. That chassis can handle so much power, and yeah. then they pulled the plug on it. Yeah. But... For, for me, the 1990s, when it comes to engineering, I got um, I have Lexus down because the first Lexus, yeah. uh, the uh, LS400, that was the, one of the. I mean, I know there were other sub brands, but they were like the first sub brand for Toyota. Well, it, Lexus it, and Infinity it, came it, out pretty it, much it, at the Infinity, same time. I mean, Acura Acura uh, Acura came out in '86, which is obviously a sub brand of Honda, but but. Lexus was the first. Remember those? I know you remember those commercials. They had that little ball bearing that would run between the seams of the, of the fenders yeah. and everything. And those cars were precision engineered. You had a 32 valve V8 making 250 horsepower, and it's not a performance thing. It was a smooth thing. Sure. So quiet, and then it, 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 quiet rear wheel drive. I mean, everybody knows about the famous. Uh, a uh, guy on YouTube, uh, Matt Farah, that had the million mile mm-hmm. Lexus. Well, he got it. He got it from somebody with a lot of miles on it. So that's. But I'm sure that's not the only one. But if you take care of those cars, they run forever. Oh all, yeah, I've got a friend that's got a a friend that had a LS, uh, one of the newer ones, like an LS430, I think. And he just mm-hmm. said it was, you know, and this guy. And this is a guy that's owned Ferraris and Maseratis and Jaguars and all kinds of stuff. And he said that pretty much basically what you just said that this car is just it does if you want a luxury car not a performance car but a luxury high-end luxury car this is it because it does everything it's supposed to do it's quiet it's fast it's not not cheap to maintain but it's reliable and it's you know it's everything cheaper to maintain than some of them other cars well probably cheaper than a mercedes but still not that cheap absolutely yeah, but still not that cheap. But um, so you know they, and I'm sure that they had to fight uh, the same thing that uh, Genesis is fighting because when Lexus came out, people only knew about Mercedes, Audi, BMW. So they had to break into the big boys club. But I, in my opinion, they've done it. Well, they did it, but but Lexus did it because they purposely brought the car in at, at a price where I don't even know if they were making any money on it or or making not that much money on it and they wanted to establish that market share and then you know now their cars are the same price as a mercedes but they weren't back then and 
that's that was their plan all along. They wanted to establish market share, make less money on them for the first ten years or whatever, and then. I think a loaded. I think a lo- loaded Lexus LS is probably still a little bit cheaper than an S class. Yeah, but it can touch a hundred grand in a heartbeat. Oh, it, oh, it, so they're over a hundred. Yeah, I think they, you can get them. You can get a, a fully. Uh, I think now the their LS. Uh, I think they're the LS five hundred. Now they have a they have a hybrid one, and I yeah. think they're like a hundred and forty thousand dollars. But I mean, this is like with everything in the kitchen sink. Sure, it. sure it is. But it's it's comparable though, and obviously they know that people are cross shopping those too. So if they can be a little bit less in price. Maybe that's good, but you know, Lexus was very Toyota. Lexus, they were smart in in <clears throat> the way they introduced that car. Infinity never, you know, Infinity is still with us, but they never had the Garbage. the cachet. I mean, Garbage. I I had a G thirty seven, which I thought was a good car, but and I, I remember I test drove a, um, what was the um, what was the competitor to the LS four hundred in the Infinity? It was the um. I can't remember what it well, was right now. That, the fact that we're trying to figure out what it is. Well, just, yeah, exactly. <laughs> why, do you, uh, why do you dislike Infinity so much, Roger? <laughs> because it's Nissan and they're garbage. I think they're Nissans are good be, cars. I like them. Oh, they're not going to be they're, they're not going to be around much longer with all the stuff going on. Well, yeah, yeah. They're, they're, but Infinity, they are... They are just. It was the Q, the the Q forty five. That's what that's what I'm thinking. Yeah. So the man, the man in the field. You, I can. I drive around all day at work, and I drive all over, all over town. And you never see him. You see, well, no, you see Infinities, but they're all they're all ratted out. Yeah. You see them like with primer and different wheels. I mean, they're just the the. To me, the only reason you see Infinities is because they have great leaf deals. Everybody knows the quality, and their their platforms are archaic. They they have nothing new on the market. They <laughs> there's no way they're going to be around in five years. Okay, well we'll see what happens. But um, I mean, I liked my you know I didn't have it that long, but I bought it brand new. I had a G thirty seven XS, and uh, it was a pretty. I thought it was a pretty good car. You didn't have it for very long. So no, I because I bought any reliability. Well, I had it for sixteen anything. months. I put nine thousand miles on it. You know, and I, I didn't expect anything to go wrong with it, though. I mean, I it's well, not it's like, not a Chevy Vega, so it's not going to fall apart yeah. in nine thousand miles. <laughs> well, okay, Roger. Who's whoever said that our man <laughs> of the field doesn't have any opinions? Boy, um, just a couple more in the '90s that I wanted to touch on, and then we'll move on to the uh, the 2000s. But um, the 1994 Impala SS with the LT1 that had the LT1 uh, engine that my Corvette has in it. That was a reintroduction of the Impala brand because they stopped and started the Impala uh, several times over yeah. the, the thing, and they just actually finally stopped it's the Impala a, it's, again. It's actually, a D, it's actually a detuned version of your engine. Uh, I thought it was still pretty much like two, maybe 260 horsepower, not 300. Well, yeah, that's 40 horsepower. Okay, 40 but it's still, power. yeah, but the potential was still there. It was still a quick car for what it was, and it was cool looking. Oh, yeah, they were. They were, they they were, came great, in, uh, they were great cars. Yeah, they came in, I think, only three colors. Black, that kind of a dark, uh, almost like not, not quite the... Uh, um, black cherry. Yeah, black cherry. That's it. Not my um, dar- uh, uh, black rose metallic, which is the color oh, of my Corvette. That's purple, but the black cherry, and then this like a uh, metallic green, like a darker. It, 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 was, it was called jade gray metallic. Jade gray metallic. Okay, yeah, those are the three. Yeah. And the thing yeah, is, the if last, 
Yeah, it's a great car. Yeah, I was going to say that. Just be careful if you're ever looking for one for sale. Make sure that it's a real SS because a lot of people took the Impala, or took a an Impala and made it into an SS. And they, made, they, they took a Caprice and made it, or whatever SS. they did. Yeah, but they, you got to be careful. So you'll, so you'll find this story very interesting because you brought up the uh, Impala SS. Growing up in Detroit, uh, we had the largest cruise night in Michigan. It was at this place called. Uh, boppers it was uh that was the name of the bar at tampa lanes and so we're only a half a mile from the gm tech center uh john moss who was like the lead guy for all the fun stuff he brought a el camino ss up to the cruise night and basically took a took a caprice station wagon and made an el camino ss out of it sure and cut it the looked, back off it looked it looked so factory like they could have made it wow you guys out there listening, you can probably Google <laughs> El Camino SS and, uh, from the mid-90s, and you'll probably see a picture of it. Cool. And it was a one-off, though, obviously, right? It was a one-off yeah. car, yes. Yeah, that's very cool. Um, two more that I wanted to add from the 90s. The Jeep Grand Cherokee kind of ushered in the whole idea of a luxury SUV. Absolutely. And those things go for big bucks these days. Uh, used people just want those things. They're classics. And then going along with the uh, classic SUV theme, the second generation of the Land Rover Range Rover, which was, again, uh, luxury uh, oriented SUV, leather interior, but truly capable go anywhere uh vehicle um that kind of started to cement range rovers um cachet and brand uh in the 90s here at least here in the states so let's move on to uh the 2000s uh roger uh this one for whatever reason i have more general like trends that define the 2000s versus specific cars but i do have I have a handful specific. Okay, I have a handful. I'll just start out with one that defined the decade in a bad way. <laughs> the Pontiac Aztec. Uh, it was ahead of its time. I mean, uh, there, there actually there is a, uh, a resurgence with somebody about that vehicle. I don't know who, but um, if you look at the way the Aztec looked with those, it had those parking lights that were up top yeah there's a number of cars there's a number of cars that have that now well i always thought that when the bmw the uh six series suv came out the x6 oh, it looks uh, just like an aztec it really does it looks uh, like a mercedes, a, ha- mercedes has one too I, I don't know what the numbering y- yeah is on the mercedes, yeah but yeah, okay. they changed all their. Well, yeah, they changed okay. mercedes changed all their nomenclature recently on well. the suvs but um but it does. You're right. In a way, it was kind of it was widely panned just because it was an ugly car. But then people, again, twenty years later, people are starting to like come around to it, going like, "Well, maybe this thing wasn't as weird as we thought it was to begin with." Do you remember the tent package they sold for that? Car I think too? so. Yeah, it would make the bat. You'd lift the hatch up, and and you'd be able to yeah. make like a an enclosure. It. Yeah. Why not? Yeah, the, and the center and the center console has a removable uh, cooler. Yeah, which is very, like, almost uh, standard on pickup trucks and, and certain uh, other SUVs these days, too. So maybe that was slightly ahead of its time. And I did add this one, Roger. I know you just panned them, but the Nissan GTR Godzilla in the 2000s, that's a pretty yeah, groundbreaking the, car. Yeah, it was, we finally got the forbidden fruit, except we got the, uh, 
Boy, that's just a big bloated version of that car. That's the R35 model, uh, but we still got it. And it was it when it first came out here, it was it was a bargain for what it cost. But that price on that car skyrocketed, and it has oh, yeah. not it has not changed since 2009. I mean, they've they tweaked it here and there. 400, 480 horsepower. Now you can get one with 600, but it's still the same car, though. Yeah. I've never... That's what I'm talking about with Nissan, but I'm talking... I'm sorry, but I'm talking about with Nissan Infinity, tired platforms. Yeah. That's a but they're, great example. But maybe they're good enough, though, that they don't feel they have to re-engineer everything, though, because that car, performance-wise, you know, zero to 60 times, top end, handling, I mean... It's still very, very high up in the in the echelon as far as those numbers well, are concerned. Well, let me let me let me club your your pick over the head <laughs> with a uh, with a big mallet. The Bugatti Veyron is a rolling engineering exercise. They those cars. We we were talking about the Cadillacs of the fifties. How much they lost money on? I heard that the Bugatti Veyron. It cost at the time like three million dollars to make every car, and they yeah. did not sell for that. So but, you look at the Bugatti Veyron. You had a, a quad turbo, sixteen cylinder. Yeah. which The quad turbo was not a new thing because uh, the Bugatti uh, EV one ten had four turbos, but this car, four turbos at a thousand horsepower when they first came out, and then. Th- all the like the tires you had if you needed tires for the car you had to send them to france on your third set of tires i heard you had to send do the well the rims you have to the replace wheels, yeah the wheels had to be replaced yeah. because the, stresses the, the tolerances and the and the the uh the, the cracking potential this car had to be guaranteed to be able to go 255 miles an hour like james may on top here famously drove the car with a actual uh, uh, and I remember so, yeah. Thing. Yeah, I mean, but then you had that little key that you put on the uh, on the uh, on the side that would lower the car and put it into that mode. Yeah. I mean, the, and then the the stereo system in that car, and then the maintenance. The car had like ten radiators. I mean, this car was a rolling engineering exercise. But what what does that have to do with the Nissan GTR? Because it was what we were talking well, about originally. It, so. It, it, but it, but you said I think you said that, that represented the 2000s. But that, that the Bugatti Veyron was much more engineered than the GTR. Oh yeah, but look at the price differential though. It costs ten to twenty times the the cost. And with the GTR, you don't have to go through all those machinations to to drive the car and to maintain it. So well, you're right about the the dollar amount. But I'm just I'm I'm not even looking at it from the in the price standpoint, I'm just looking at the finished product. But well, I wasn't saying that. Have, I wasn't saying that the GTR is necessarily. I mean, it has a very high tech engineering. I know that they assemble the engines in a clean room environment, you know, yeah. and they they do yeah. some really cool things. And the only thing is, I remember seeing on Top Gear when when Jeremy Clarkson was driving one, and it's been my impression by reading the the various reviews over the years is the fact that. That car is like just kind of just driving a computer because the computer basically right. makes Video all the games. decisions. Yeah, and and that would take all the the it would suck all the soul and character out of it. You know, the instrument. It's a fact that the instrumentation in that car is developed by the same person that did PlayStation. Okay. The, the video game. Yeah. But 
what do you so what do you have from a look standpoint from the 2000s? Because this, this, this to me, there's one that's very obvious. Uh, you know, I didn't, I didn't, looks wise, I didn't come up with a, with a couple, uh, with much, um, I was kind of drawing a blank, really, but yeah, give me a clue, see if I can figure it out. So, so retro cars were very popular in the 2000s. You had, uh, the PT Cruiser, you had the Chevy SSR, you had the Chevy HHR, the Thunderbird, that, that. Goofy Thunderbird yeah. is the Mustang, the <laughs> Mustang, but there's but there's one retro car that crushes them all. A foreign or domestic? German. Oh, German. Yeah. German retro car. Oh, the the Beetle. No. No. Nope. The Beetle came out in 1998. Oh, nine. Okay, yeah, but it carried on i mean the, the the new beetle let's 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 clarify that yeah i know what you're saying um i'm talking about a spectacular looking german sports car spectacular but retro though retro absolutely i'm just I, I know it's probably so obvious that it's like right in front of me i'm not thinking about it but but what well, is it the gears are turning in march head yeah right they now. are the, and the i'm thinking i'm thinking porsche i'm thinking i'm thinking mercedes i'm thinking audi i'm thinking um you know german what 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 else could it be bavarian, bavarian oh bmw Zoberg. oh z8 oh the z8. z8 see i never liked that Style. car Styling is nice. I just think that the dashboard is just an abomination. Well, they tried to keep it all retro, but yeah, but it didn't translate well. Well, I know you're like you're more you're you're in tune with the collector side. That is a car that sells. It it has gone up in. Oh, it has. No, it's a beautiful car. Yeah, I'll I'll agree with you on the aesthetics. I don't know how retro retro it is because you were saying retro. I'm thinking like if you park a BMW 507 next to it, it's clear as day. Oh yeah, they styled it after it. Yeah, and I'll take a 507 any day. But um, (laughs) have you have you ever seen a 507 in person? No, I'm trying to think. I may have once. I'm not positive. When when collector when the the cars and coffee that's down at collector's car garage when they were at the uh, at the uh, parking lot for Soldier Field somebody actually brought a a five hundred seven at the show and it is it's breathtaking oh I'm, I'm yeah no doubt I'm sure it is oh my god it's beautiful um switching gears here a little bit I wanted to just touch on a couple of cars that that I thought would define the 2000s and it kind of gets back to something you were saying during the 80s actually with with the japanese cars being reliable and everything i think the toyota camry really kind of like became so ubiquitous in the 2000s you know they sell 350,000 of those a year here in the states um i just think it's like almost like the 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 everyday bland four-door sedan that you see everywhere and that really oh, started. Camry and Accord, they, they Camry and Accord. Camrys and Accords, they, yeah. They, they they cleaned up in the in the 2000s. Totally, well, I mean, the 90s into yeah. 2000s. And then trends for the 2000s. I was looking at, you know, the continuation of SUVs becoming popular, supplanting, starting to supplant the minivans, full size pickup trucks becoming. Um, you know, obviously the F one fifty Ford has always been a continual bestseller, but the the, the notion that 
you don't have to have a farm or a ranch just to have a full-size pickup truck as a daily driver. Uh, I think that really started to to um, make itself known in the 2000s, and it wasn't just Ford. You know, Chevy, um, Silverados, and the Rams from Dodge really started to uh, compete head-on with uh, Ford. And then going along with the SUVs, the uh, Cadillac Escalade, I think, really came into its own in the 2000s. Um, it's just a car that you see in pop culture, whether it's, you know, rap stars or, or Hollywood's video. music videos, but like Secret yep. Service, um, just country club. You know, if someone's got money, you know, well, I just don't drive a, any kind of SUV. I have a Cadillac Escalade, you know, and just yep. I think that is a huge, huge um, cultural thing there. And then the other... Um, car that I would say really started to start defining the future in the 2000s would be the whole idea of the hybrid and the Prius, uh, Toyota Prius actually becoming the mainstream hybrid in the 2000s. Um, the first ones that came out in the, like 99, I think it was, or 98. Yeah. I mean, that was that was just basically a dumpy looking little, you know, sedan with all this high tech stuff in it. And then the I think start- it was a replacement for the Toyota Echo. Oh, the Echo! No, the Echo came on. The Echo still—they still made the Echo in in the two thousands. I'm pretty sure they did. That was like the cheapest, lowest cost car. But the hybrid—it yeah. kind of looked like the Echo. That was just this really bland right. looking car. But then they started making the Prius on its own chassis. They changed the styling. They made it more futuristic. And you know, with the hybrid technology, Toyota had it. You know, they were the first ones that 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 did they it they did it right they crushed it yeah ford licenses the technology i don't know how many other companies use variations of their technology and i really think that that started to foretell the the future of where at least part of the automotive landscape is going with this this whole technology this whole idea of of hybridization with cars and I've, I've owned one hybrid car in my life. You have which? What? What? What did you have? I, I, I had a I had a 2011 Honda CRZ. Oh yeah, but it but it was basically just the hybrid electric motor gave the car a boost. Oh okay, it, so it wasn't not, a full it, on. It would it, it would yeah it would not run purely on electric. Yeah, well my but, but I will but I will tell you when that when that battery when I took it to the Dragon when when the battery got depleted and it ran on just the engine. You could tell. It was, I mean, it was a slow car, but it was even slower without the electric boost. Yeah. I've talked about this on the the program uh, many times before. My girlfriend drives a 2014 Prius, and she loves it. Right. She absolutely loves it. I mean, the car's been so dead stock reliable. Nothing's ever gone wrong with it. She's got close to 90,000 miles on it already. And it's getting broken in. Yeah. I mean, the thing, again, talk about an appliance, but this is like, you know, when you're in the car, it's, it's like, being in a rolling science experiment because you see that dashboard display that shows where the where the charge is going whether it's going to the battery or the motor the electric motor or you know if the engine's on or off or or whatever and you hear a bunch of inverters buzzing and whining and it's just, got, it's just bizarre you get used to it you know that car doesn't really isn't made to run on pure electric though they have a pure electric mode but it only works up to like 25 miles an hour and you can't drive 25 you know, I've tried but it before. Bumper bumper, but in bumper to bumper traffic, I don't know if it does. Well, I I don't know if it does or not because it won't automatically go into a full electric mode by itself. I don't believe. I think you have to actually activate that. 
Because usually, because it's got start stop. So if you're in stop and go traffic, it's just going to be shutting on and off. Well, maybe you have. I don't. Maybe you have to have it like in an eco mode. Because a buddy of mine, he had a Camry hybrid, and I think if you drive it with a light enough, well, you should have a light uh, a foot in traffic. I think in bumper to bumper traffic, that gas engine is not going to turn on. It's not supposed to. Yeah, it might. I don't know because I know like if I'm moving um, her car around at our house. And sometimes if I'm really ginger on the on the um, gas pedal, I can pull it out onto the street in just electric power <laughs> before the, the engine fires. Um, but well, you got to be you have to have a really light touch on it. Oh yeah, electric plug-in. And those are the yeah too. the plug-in hybrids are the ones that are designed to go thirty or forty miles on pure electric before the engine kicks in. Um, but I mean, she loves her car, and it's just like fine, you know. The the, mile, the gas mileage is incredible, and and she loves it, and I'm entertained by it here and there, and it's basically where. Well, I mean, you know, I don't <laughs> mind riding in it. It's got plenty of power, and and like I said, she loves it, and and she feels good about you know doing something good for the environment. So, um, you know, all the power to her and stuff. But I think that that's something we definitely saw in the in the 2000s was um, <clears throat> you know the beginning of the of the hybrids becoming much more um, mainstream. We're going to well, touch. They do talk about, they do talk about how much it does. And a hybrid actually does more polluting because of how you have to transport the batteries back. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of either. Yeah. I mean, that's a whole nother debate. I mean, there's a whole lot of that right. going on right now. Like do, does a, does a car like a Tesla really save the environment because you're still charging electric electricity has to be generated somehow. And you're just removing the the source of where you're burning that hydrocarbon, whether it's at the plant where you're getting electricity from, or here at your car. You know what I'm saying? So, I'll it, just say I'll just say this: if tomorrow, twenty five percent of the cars were pure electric, do you really think our grid system could handle that? No, no, that's a whole other thing that people that's are correct. saying. Yeah, and um, yeah, it, that's a a very explosive topic for another thing, and I don't know if we'll ever even discuss it here because i i like touching on the electrics and stuff from here and there but i never want to go full bore into it because i i believe in the internal combustion engine <laughs> and you i'm going to be Absolutely. you know you're going to have to pry it from my cold dead hands <laughs> <laughs> to see what happens if you like the car guys report informed automotive then be sure to check out some of the other programs that are available on the radio misfits podcast network like the program and Friends. It's an Opie show, and Friends, that's what it's called, is all about those conversations that real friends have. Tommy, Kimmy, and Samuel discuss sex talk. Hmm, suitable for work? I don't know. History, blatant narcissism, and more. Wow. So come meet your new best friends with the show and friends. You can go to opishows.com. That's O-P-P-I-H shows.com or wherever you find podcasts. Just search Radio Misfits. And when you search for Radio Misfits, you'll find this podcast. This is the Car Guys Report, Informed Automotive. Mark Vernon along with... Um, our man in the field today, Roger Rexroad. Luke Hostable taking a couple of days off, and we're in the middle of cars that define a decade. We've been working our way through, and we've got a couple more decades to go here, Roger. Um, 2010, uh, the 2010s, which we just finished that decade since we're now in 2020. I kind of look at it as being the decade of 
modern performance. We've got what I call reliable supercars, cars that are supercars like a Ferrari, a Lamborghini, a McLaren, that are two, three, four hundred thousand dollars in, in price, still relatively low production, but have incredible performance, modern construction, modern safety features, and the biggest test is that you can drive any one of these cars as a daily driver. You can drive them in all kinds of weather. Not saying that people actually do this, but you can actually, they're, they're to the point where you can drive these cars year-round as a daily driver, and they're not going to break down. They're not like the, the, the supercars of yore. And then the other thing, you've got performance SUVs. You've got modern performance muscle cars like the Hellcat, the Camaros, the Vets, these huge horsepower numbers, 780 horsepower from the factory with a warranty. You know, Dodge isn't going to slap your hand when you buy a Demon and go drag racing with it. I mean, that's what we're living with right now. We're looking at Cadillac CTSV wagons, 550 supercharged horsepower, Mercedes AMGs kicking out 600 horsepower. I mean, where does it end? You know, I mean, that's what we're seeing right now in so, the tw- from the 2010s. 20. And it has, you know, definitely spilled in. But but in recent history, we're only a year away from the 2010s. That's what I say right. is, is is looking not so much as an individual model, but but here as a trend that defined a decade is these cars that are just we're in the golden age of horsepower. Yeah, well, growing up in Detroit, you know, I, I had to always hear about the uh, oh, you should have grown up and too bad you didn't get to grow up in the 60s. Well, starting starting in the you know starting in the you know the 2000 or the 2008 when the when the Challenger got reintroduced, we, we were already escalating the power because you a 2008 Challenger SRT8 that was like the top spec car at that time. That car made 425 horsepower. That was a lot. Yep. But now you got. You got the Hellcat 707, the Red Eye 787, the Demon, which is obviously just a, a drag car, is 808 horsepower or 840 if you have the 100 octane tune on the car. I mean, like you said, where does it stop? I mean, um, you, you have the Trackhawk has 700. I was going to say you've got an SUV, a Trackhawk that's got yeah, it's got the Hellcat engine in it. And that's but an the SUV. With that is, you got all and the, right. And the advantage you have there is it's all-wheel drive. So when you stomp the gas, while that guy is smoking his tires, and you got 70, nothing but traction. Kuda, <laughs> yeah, you're gone. Yeah. So like for like for me, like I, I, this is gonna kind of um, play right along with what you're talking about. For me, when it comes to looks, this is actually almost with the performance thing. The you have the Porsche 918 Spider. The McLaren F1 and the LaFerrari. So you have a meshing of tried and true gasoline high performance power, but then you add the electric motor mm-hmm. that gives you all wheel drive so you can get the traction down. Those three cars are joined at the hip because they created what's now called a hyper car. Hyper cars. Yep, I got that written down, yeah. Yeah, you you got to have a you got to have almost a, you got to have basically a thousand horsepower to join that club. I also, but I with the hypercars too. Um, I. I bunched a, a couple and i put the bugatti in obviously because that's a hypercar oh, even though it doesn't have any electrification in it i put in the um i put in paganis just because they're super expensive i mean they're fast but they're not they're not super unbelievably tech laden but they're expensive and then Koenigsegg. 
because they're a hypercar. I mean, just the performance that they're getting out of those things. Because um, I look at a hypercar being not only performance, but hyper in price. Yeah, <laughs> and I mean a Konaseg you can't touch for less than what two million Pagani's we well, talked what's, earlier. What's, what's interesting about Konaseg if you look at the early ones they they had uh, I think they were using some version of a a Ford engine and then it would run on biofuel and now they're developing their own engine. They are, yeah. I read something about where Konaseg is going to develop a three cylinder, two liter. Th- it's like a uh, a two liter three cylinder. Uh, with some kind of high-tech valve train. And it's, like, all computer-controlled, and it was going to have some, like, 500 horsepower out of two liters or something. It was just some unreal figure. Is that going to be – is that a generator for the electrification? I don't know, no. I don't know, no. I think it was just an actual internal combustion engine. It wasn't made to drive just a generator. I think it was actually driving the car. It was one of these things where this is what they're talking about, and it's in production or in in development, but – it, w- it wasn't real I thought, I thought laid was, out. I thought that was. I thought that was to be used in conjunction with the four electric motors. It might be. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, maybe I was going. reading the article wrong, but um, it was. It wasn't in great detail. But whatever they were designing, it sounded intriguing. Hey, it's no, it's no. It's, hey, it's okay to not know because it's all. It's all so new right now. Well, exactly. It is. We, we don't know where all this stuff is going to go. Um, the Tesla. I wanted to throw Tesla in there just because the Model S and even the Model Three, the performance that they're getting out of these cars electrically with. Um, um, you know, their ludicrous modes and things like that. Um, I have Tesla down for engineering. I, we're on the same page. With yeah, that. I mean, I mean I'm, a, I'm a gear, I'm a gearhead like you, but I mean, you, you just, you can't deny that Tesla is really the first company to go mass market and oh, mainstream electric. Them, totally. I mean, you, you, you got, you have to give them their due. I mean, everyone thinks that Elon Musk, um, not everyone, but a lot of people think that he's just some kind of, you know, he's a visionary, no doubt. Um, he's P.T. Barnum. Well, but yeah, but the people think he is, but he's really not. I mean, he's a visionary, and he's he's got the ability to see so far out where his company can go. And you've really got to hand it to him, because look at all the car companies that have been started, even since the 70s, that have failed. I mean, DeLorean, Bricklin, um you know, any number of these cars. And how many cars did DeLorean make total? 10,000 for its life? I don't know. Elon Musk has got a lot of money from the government to do all this. So we got. But he made a lot of money, too. Money from, I mean, though. he's a public company. He made, you know, he's got billions of dollars from from shareholders. He made a billion dollars when he sold PayPal. And the guy sold hundreds of thousands of cars, though. That's just it. He's a legitimate manufacturer. And I think that's yeah, where the some... quality is not very good on well, cars, though. Well, yes and no. But I'm just saying that you, you just have to give his due where it's due. The fact that he, there's no way you can't say he's a mass marketer because he's into the hundreds of thousands of, of cars sold, made and sold now. And that's not child's play anymore. You know, and that right. eclipses cars like Aston Martin and eclipses, you know, the total of, of any number of Ferraris that have ever, ever been made. You know, just all these other cars. So, you know, I'm I'm still rooting for him. I, I think he's going to do real good. And I think that he's proven. I mean, that Model Y is is, is on the cusp of, of being produced. I mean, it, they, they started deliveries maybe a month or so ago before I the lockdown started. Range, uh, last, I saw one in downtown LaGrange. You saw a Model, a model Y. Yeah, the new Y. How'd it's it look? Smaller, it's, it, it's like a, it's uh, like an SUV version of the three. 
is really a, what it is. Uh, it, it's a, it's an S, it's, the, it's a small SUV of that yeah. weird gullwing door. Yeah, it's 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 basically it's the Model Three made into an SUV. Is, yeah, is the easiest way to say it. I mean, did it look good? I, I'm not really a fan of the cars because they just they don't really have any character. Like the front end of the car just looks. It looks a weird, we call, a little weird with no it, it radiator like opening. Twi- it, it looks like something from a Twilight Zone. Yeah, so like. It's got eyes and no mouth. It just, it just, I don't know. Well, whatever. I mean, I think, I think his designs. I mean, you're talking about Nissan's designs getting a little stale. I mean, he's got to do something to restyle the, the S because that's going on nine years now already. 2012 is when that came out. It's still a good looking car, but you know, I hope that he, um, um, you know, does a, some styling tweaks to it at some point. But anyway, what they're doing uh, performance wise is is pretty incredible. Um, you know, cars, actual models that have defined the 2010s, you know, you could definitely say the Hellcat uh, because that was the first, you know, super high-powered, factory-warranted, 707-horsepower car that, that Chrysler came out with. And some of the, in the performance SUVs, I mean, not only just the track, um, the the track one from... Uh, FCA, but you know the, the Trackhawk, track yeah, the twin turbo Cayenne turbo. Um, <clears throat> you know any number of Mercedes SUVs are are just unbelievable. Um, then you've got cars too that came out in the twenty tens. Actually, when did the Audi Audi R eight come out? When was that? The late like two thousand eight. I think that was like around two thousand eight, two thousand nine. Yeah, but then continued on. You know, that's basically a, a Lamborghini, Lamborghini Uragon. Gallardo. Or Gallardo, yeah, that's Uragon. what it is. Yeah, yeah. Uragon, yeah. Which is a great car. So, um, It's one of the few supercars that I really like. Uh, I think it, uh, the Huracan has those, looks like two fangs coming up in the bottom. I, I do like that, but I'm not a, I'm not a supercar person at all. I just, um, eh. As, so as far as a design um, <clears throat> standpoint, um, what are your what would be your picks? I'm not really picking any specific ones for for the 2010s. Just general. Well, my design know. picks are the are the three uh, hypercars that I brought. Okay. The Porsche yeah. 918. Sure. I mean, that Porsche 918. I mean, it's got the exhaust that comes out of the top. Yeah. Uh, same and the McLaren F1. I mean, I'm not a big fan of McLaren. I just think they look. I don't. Know, there's something about the the original. Well, I, the F, I keep saying F1. I'm sorry, the P1. Yeah. The P1. Is that is the, the center P1. seat one? Uh, what was the original one? That's, that's the original one is the is the, is the the F1. The P1 is the hybrid assist one. That's got 1,000 horsepower. Okay. And then the, 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 the LaFerrari. Yeah. I mean, that, that's, these cars, they really do stand out when you see them. In particular, the 918 and the Yeah, LaFerrari. and we've, we've both seen 918s in the flesh, so we know what oh, they yeah. look like. Yeah, they, they, they've seen them make, <laughs> yeah, yeah, remember, we saw it at... Uh, at uh, Supercar Saturday. Oh yeah, and I've seen them uh, elsewhere. Yeah, yeah, they're they are incredible looking. Oh yeah, cars. they're they're very nice. They're very nice. Um, it's like the, it's like a spiritual successor to the uh, Carrera GT. Yeah, oh it is definitely yeah the, yeah because that's a, like that's a car that almost everyone forget what you know that Porsche actually made that in what the mid two thousands was like two thousand five. Yeah, that is v, yeah. That a V ten didn't it? V ten. Yeah, which yeah. is crazy it's, for a for a Carrera, Porsche. The, the Carrera GT is the best sounding car I've ever heard in person. Yeah, I've never heard one, so I, I don't know if I've ever oh, even seen one. But the V10, the howl from that engine is unbelievable. 
Uh, where did you see that? Was it locally or? That was a couple years ago. Okay. At, this is gonna you're gonna laugh about this. I was at a, like a little car show in Bloomingdale. I believe it was Bloomingdale, and this guy pulled in with a Carrera GT, parked it, and went into the Auto Zone to buy <laughs> something and came back out. <laughs> Probably a, a pine tree air freshener. <laughs> I don't know, but it, when he, when wow! He left, I, I I asked him. I said, "Can you just give it a little when you pull out of here?" And when he once he pulled out and he straightened it out, he stood on it. And yeah, that V that the wailing sound of that of that V ten is intoxicating. And ladies and gentlemen, that's why Roger Rexroad is our man in the field because he gets to. Uh, experience this stuff firsthand i sit there and labor behind a computer all day developing these episodes and roger's out there listening to carrera gts i tell you <laughs> i was lucky i was just i was the, i was the right person at the right place at the right time on that particular car that's just lucky we have to take a break here on the uh car guys report informed automotive we'd like you to stay home and keep listening to opi shows you'll be saving the world and also be sure to continue to Keep washing your hands. We've got another weekend delivery here at the uh, Car Guys Report Warehouse. We'll be back right after this. This is Minutia Men with Rick and Dave. On this week's Minutia Men with Rick and Dave. Penis problems with COVID. A Minutia quiz about baseball's return. Kosher lube. My brush with an Academy Award winning actress. And our celebrity interview with stuntman Hollywood legend Bobby Holland Hanton. All that in unlimited tangents on this week's Minutia Men. Tony Lasano podcast and Opie production on the Radio Misfits podcast network. RadioMisfits.com. I'm Howard Sudbury and I co-host the Back to You podcast with my longtime friend Steve Baskerville. He's the smart one and our show is on the move. New episodes will now be released on Thursdays and I have breaking news. The Car Guys Report. Informed Automotive with Mark Vernon and Lou Costable is on the move too. New episodes of this great podcast will be released on Tuesdays. So check out Mark and Lou with the Car Guys Report, Informed Automotive on Tuesdays, and Back to You on Thursdays. Both are Opie Show productions on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. And we're back here on the Car Guys Report, Informed Automotive. Mark Vernon along with our man in the field today, Roger Rexroad, having just a great time coming up to the end of uh, part two of our Cars That Define a Decade. Last episode, we uh, talked uh, cars 30s through the 70s. Now we're doing the 80s through current times you just wrapped up the 2010s and um for 2020 you know roger you were thinking it might be a little too early to figure out what what will define our decade and again i i'm kind of painting in broad strokes here um i'm looking at more um concepts or trends that will define our decade um advanced uh, driver Assistance Systems, the acronym ADAS. We've already been living with those for a number of years, but I think it's going to only get worse, unfortunately, for people that like to drive. We're talking about things like automatic braking, uh, radar cruise control, lane keep assist, lane departure warning, all the stuff that basically, in my opinion, diminishes your skills as a driver because you get these idiots that have cars like this and they drive them and they think, oh, I don't have to pay attention to the road because my car will know when to stop and it'll tell me if I'm drifting or whatever. And I'm like, I think really all they do is is diminish your capacity as a driver because they they 
they weaken your skills because you're not using your skills to control your vehicle. And I think that's a very negative thing. And that's something that really people haven't talked about enough. But I think that's one thing we're going to see. Uh, we keep talking about self-driving cars. It's hard to say what's going to happen there. I'm totally against that. Um, I want to be in control. I'm never going to be comfortable getting into like a pod and having it drive you somewhere. And then, um, so those are the two like big defining things I think that we're going to see more of during this decade, as well as, you know, more hybridization, more uh, hybridization in two ways, just uh, hybrids being integrated for efficiency and things like that, a, a la the, the, the Prius. Then performance hybrids, like we've talked about with the Porsche 918 Spider and things like that, where companies are, are using electrification for performance purposes and not necessarily for um, emissions or um, gas mileage, things like that. And, Roger, two cars that I can think of right off the bat that will basically define or help define our decade here in the 2020s would be your favorite car, the C8 Corvette. And what is what what it's it's what uh, explain what you mean by that? I think it's going to define it just because it's it's a groundbreaking design from from Chevrolet as far as the Corvette is concerned. It's the first mid-engine Corvette, and I think it's just going to be interesting to see where they take that car. How you know they're already talking about performance versions. They're already talking about hybrid versions. They're talking about you know any number of things that that car could become. So. It's early, but it is marketed as a 2020 vehicle. So uh, I think it will be an interesting uh, car to follow uh, this decade and see where it ends up and see if it tends to influence um, this decade. And then also the Porsche. Well, it's, it's following other cars, though. So it is. Sure it is. Yeah, you could say they're late to the, the game because it's a mid-engine design. They're very design. late to the game. Okay, but they're, they're not. very late. But they're not late from the standpoint of a Corvette. You know what I'm saying? I mean, if you're a Corvette owner, you're used to front-engine rear drive. So now, as a Corvette owner, you're given the option to say, here, you can buy a new vet that's mid-engine. So it's brand new to them. It's brand new to a lot of people that drive Corvettes. It's brand new to them, but Lamborghini was doing it in the mid-1960s. Sure they were, but people back then weren't cross-shopping a Corvette with a Lamborghini. Here, if you're a Corvette person, you'd be naturally interested in seeing what the new Corvette's all about. So all I'm saying is for most Corvette people, this whole concept of a mid-engine car, it could very well likely be the first time they've ever driven a mid-engine vehicle. That's true. But so, here's the thing, though. Here's the thing, Mark. Like Ferrari, they give you the option. You want a mid-engine? We got it. You want front engine? We still got it. They don't have that with Corvette. Oh, I know, but they've they're, never had other. They've never had variations telling, of a Corvette other telling than you, right. They're telling you what you can buy. That's it. Ferrari at least gives you the option. You want mid-engine or front-engine? Other than just a uh, you know convertible versus hardtop, Corvettes never had any other variations. So maybe who knows? Yeah. I mean, they were already talking about at some point. You know, uh, Ford is making the Mo uh, Mustang Mach E, which is they're using the yeah, Mustang the name. But yeah, the, that's a good one. I haven't heard that one yet. Uh, basically, an electric SUV with a Mustang name on it. They were even talking about diluting the Corvette brand and we talked about this on a previous episode of the car guys report where i think gm said that corvette as a brand could be something like a 10 billion dollar brand so meaning that 
a Corvette might not just be a mid-engine car anymore, kind of like what you were alluding to. It might become an SUV. It might become something else. So we'll just have to wait and see. And that's why I'm just kind of thinking that the C8 Corvette or Corvette as a brand could have some very interesting implications for um, the decade that we're in now. And then the another car that I think will help define at least performance uh, electrification um, over and above Tesla is the new Porsche Taycan, which I think have I saw you, one on the... Have I th- you seen one? I th- swear I saw one a couple weeks ago. There was something coming towards me, and it didn't... It was definitely a Porsche. It was definitely a sedan, and it what did not... was it? It was blue, like a bright... Ele- kind of bright electric was it, blue. Was it like the Golf? Was it like the Golf? No, no, the, no. It was more of a medium, like a bright metallic blue, not a not a metallic. It was not a golf blue. I drive on Route 66 over through McCook in um, uh, that area, and in the past couple weeks, I have seen the Taycan in what I would call more of a, I'm not saying it's the golf racing blue, but it's along those lines. Okay, because this one that, definitely not that color, but it didn't look like a, it didn't look like a Panamera though. I I, no, I, I caught it quickly. It, I'm it, like, is that? And I did a double take. I'm like, is that a Taycan? And I wasn't sure, so I'm not positive I saw one, but I think I did. Well, back in February, my buddy Derek from back home came came out to visit me and go out to the Chicago Auto Show. <laughs> We were driving in Orland, and they had a black Taycan parked up on the uh, up on the perch, and we pulled in there and looked at it. Now I love cars, and I'm not really big on electric cars. When you when you guys out there get to see a Taycan in person, the pictures I've seen look awesome. Yeah, I I I, I think it's a cool looking car. Yeah, it is beautiful. It is un. It's very expensive. Like the one that we were looking, the one thing I don't like what they did with this car is the top one is called a Turbo S. There's nothing turbo. Oh, I know, I know that that that's such a misnomer. But they're it's just paying off. Hundred and ten thousand dollars. Yeah, though. they're they're playing off what people associate with Porsche being turbo or right. S or whatever. Exactly. So I don't know if that's a good move or not. But yeah, it is. It is marketing. totally a misnomer because yeah. It is exactly. It's all marketing, and we'll see if that's going to pay off. But those are my it picks. It looks way better than a Tesla, though. Yeah. I'll tell you that. It yeah. really stands out on the road. It's got that beam tail light, and then it's got that that like almost like a frown thing on the front. It, yeah. it is white. It is a stunning looking car. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to actually being able to see one up close, but I'm pretty sure I saw that saw one on the road. And are there any other quick picks for you for this decade or? Well, just because there's not a lot fresh, and since you already alluded to the Corvette, I mean, it's going to be great to see the Zora come out because it's supposed to have the 1,000 horsepower. Yeah. And uh, they, they, they now have said that the next one that's going to come out is going to be the Z06 or the Grand Sport, and it's going to have the, the flat the flat plane crank engine, and then they're going to twin turbo uh, the engine in the, uh, the Zora with the electric motor. So, um, let's see if they can get the stitching fixed on the dashboard and the little bo- and, and there's a little bolt that sticks out on the door. That yeah, that chips the paint. paint. Yeah. That, listen, so you know about that. This is what I'm talking about. They had all this time to get this car right, and they can't get it right. Well, I I can almost forgive them about about the bolt thing, just because that that that's obviously just a production 
thing that has to get sorted out. But I think the stitching on the on the dashboard is unforgivable because and, and that's on the more expensive model. I know, and and, and for how many years? How many years? For how many years have people been complaining that Corvette interiors are crap? So finally, so finally, GM says, okay, well, you know, the new C8's coming out. We're going to finally make the interior match the rest of the price of the car. And then you get it with stitching that is, like, wobbly and not straight. I mean, there's no excuse for that. And how could that ever pass QC, you know? I, I don't get it. Now, I will, because I know you're going to get a lot of hate mail because people hear what I say about the C8. Now, there, I, I do subscribe to Hennessy Motorsports, and they have a gigantic complex in Texas. So I just watched a video of theirs. They, they drag raced a, a C8 Z51, which is currently... Oh, yeah, I saw that. I think I saw that. So they did, they did two races. They yeah. Did a, they, they raced from a dig and... The the Corvette stayed ahead of the GT500 until the very end, and then the, the the Mustang passed it. They raced from a roll, and then of course the Mustang won. But then the Mustang has 760 horsepower compared to 495. Yeah. But if that Corvette can stay ahead of a car that has over 250 more horsepower from a dead stop, what's going to happen when that Corvette gets, gets a thousand horsepower? <laughs> So, I mean, I'm... I'm See where I'm, I'm going I'm, with this, Roger? I told you. Keep your eye on the Corvette for 2020 and beyond. But you have, but you have to look at the Corvette, though. Well, <laughs> well, but if Hennessy or Leigenfelter, or I don't even know if Leigenfelter's still in business, but Hennessy or whoever are those other tuners, if they start making some subtle body mods, maybe it'll be more acceptable. But you can't do anything subtle because the back of that car is too big. They Look, my buddy Hector and I have talked about this with the Corvette. The back of that car is so big because they were worried about getting two sets of golf clubs. It's yeah. too fat. It's got a fat butt. Yeah. I don't mind a and fat butt, but... Well, I like a fat butt, but it doesn't look good, though. Yeah. I just don't... I've seen them on the road, and I'm... The one car that I was really wrong about is the new Toyota Supra. When I got to see that, that car, car, I think is butt ugly. I oh, think that car is an abomination. I have seen it in person. I've seen it in red. I've seen it in black. I've seen it in maybe one other color. I don't like it at all. I think it's ugly. Totally. Oh. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> well, so, point counterpoint. You know, that's all. It'll be it'll be funny if you when you see the C8 Corvette if you like it because we are completely opposite on those two cars right there. Yeah, we are, and I'm still waiting to see the C8 in person. And I said I will re- refrain from final judgment until I see it in the flesh. But um, it was interesting too when you sent me that thing um, as our man in the field about the stitching on the uh, Corvette dashboard. Terrible, um, you know, and it got me thinking when I ordered my Mercedes. My E550 coupe, I paid extra to get the Designo uh, interior because I wanted leather trim and a and red and black. And yeah, yeah. this the has and, great. and my car has has leather trim on the dashboard and the upper door panels where the wood trim would usually be, and it's got stitching on it. And my stitching on my dash and doors on the on those panels is laser straight. 
I mean, there's not a deviation, and, and, and it's not just a straight line. I mean, they've got a, a little bit of a curve coming down from the top, and on the dash there's a little bit of a curve, and it's just like it's perfect, and it should be. But that's a very similar price to what the Corvette is selling for, and like I said, there's just absolutely no excuse for for crappy stitching like that on the Corvette. And like I said, how that could pass QC, I mean, it's so it hits you in the face when you see it. Well, instead of ballyhooing that the car is fifty nine nine ninety five, yeah, and and then and it, 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 there's so many of these narratives that all these fanboys have run with. It's like <laughs> you expect more, yeah. Expect more. I mean, yeah, okay, and and stop calling it a supercar. I I, I just oh god. Well, a supercar from the performance aspect of it, and that's where you know. I mean. Where do you cut off? What do you call or not call a supercar? I mean, anything that can do zero to 60 in under three seconds can do a quarter mile in what, 11.5 or whatever the thing does, or 10.8 right. or whatever. It, Top well, end of 100. And, it, it, does, it, does run, it does run the numbers, but, but I mean, you know people that are in the supercars. It's a pissing contest. Yeah. And nobody, you, can't, you can't piss very far <laughs> when you think 4.95. That's not a lot. Yeah. You got a trick. Okay, look at the track hawk. We were just talking about it. That, it's an SUV with 707. That, that, that's got infinitely more power than a Corvette does. Yeah, but I'm if it doesn't it utilize better, the but, power, I mean, like you were just right. saying, though, if, if a Corvette in a straight line can beat a, a Shelby GT500. Well, it didn't win the drag race. Well, but very the close. Mustang, the Mustang, well, the Mustang beat it at the end because the Mustang runs a 10 8 at 132 miles an hour. Yeah. And that car is, and that car is traction limited because he, I would love to have known what a 60 foot time was because you cannot hook that kind of power up. That Mustang, I, personally, I'd rather have the Mustang than the C8. I'm just, I just don't like the C8. I just, I, like I said in our podcast a, a couple months ago about the C8, <laughs> you had you had sixty years, and and I know Lou is Lou's probably cursing at his at radio <laughs> when he hears this. I've asked this question, and I'm going to ask it again, and I'll ask you because I got you on uh, on the phone here. What is that car's party piece? Now Lou said. It was the boomerang on the yeah, side, but yeah. it doesn't have that one styling thing that says, "Oh my God, look at this car." Yeah, it just doesn't. It just it looks like a greatest hits album. Yeah, it's just, <laughs> I, I, I the greatest hits album where they always put like one new song on there. <laughs> okay, so here you go. You're you're a music guy. That it's the greatest hits album. It's like we'll just go with like. Uh, uh, journey. It's like you got "Don't Stop Believing" and "Life" and uh, "Faithfully." That that you know, there's nothing new that stands out on the car, just, except the I, one new song they put on the greatest hits album, which is crap. That's a bathroom break car. Yeah, that's a bathroom break car. You know, I I just I, I I just think, like I said in the podcast, I think what we're seeing on the C8 is leftover stuff from when the car was green lighted ten years ago, but we had our economic collapse. And speaking of that. With all of this stuff that's going on with the with the virus, we're talking about the electrification and all this, you know, self driving stuff. All that technology and R and D costs a lot of money. These car companies aren't going to have that money, so we don't even know if that stuff. Well, they've already. Really yeah, I, I think now. I was reading that that they said that 
was it automatic driving or they said something was going to be delayed like another three to five years. And it might've been like the, the self-driving, all that kind of stuff, automation with cars, uh, because of the worldwide economic, uh, downturn. Right. Yeah. So it'll be interesting to see what happens, but if it makes the internal combustion engine live on even longer, that's fine with me. Well, you let know? me ask you this. Do you think because of the, from the downturn, in the economy because of the virus and people and people are going to obviously go back to work. Luckily I'm, I'm able to still work, which I'm glad because I could not be sitting at home. Do you think that there is going to be a movement to just basic transportation again? Like I'm not saying it's going to go backwards, but do you think, cause look at you, you've said on other previous shows, the average price of a new car is $38,000. Yeah. Now that these well, there's have- a couple of things that are going to come into play here because they're saying they're even saying like you know is public transportation going to be as accepted or prevalent as it used to be? Are people going to start driving again solo because of this thing? That's a great point. I didn't and think of that. I, I, I read that somewhere. I can't remember where, but I read that, and I'm like, hmm, that is interesting. And then you're saying well, like, well, well, lower price cars, meaning like a Yugo. I mean, yep. not not yep. in quality, but That's- in price. It's basic transportation. You- you took the words right out of yeah. my mouth, and my buddy Hector and I, we've talked about this from time to time. I, the engineers have wowed us with what they can do. Can you wow me with giving me the, the technology and the safety that I just need? I don't need a little light on my mirror to tell me there's a car there. Give me a, give me a well-built car, and whoever does this is going to be the winner. And actually, when I said car, because I think people are going to start wanting – cars again because of this i'm not saying it's no i i think but i I think it's going to happen well move back towards cars i don't want to get into a big long thing here because we are getting um pretty much towards the end of our our part two here Mm -hmm. but you know you're talking about and again i'm biased but you're talking about just give me a car that doesn't have all this frill shit but still has you know some modern you know touches to it or whatever i think the fiat 500 unfortunately they're not making it or selling it here anymore but you know, my 2019 Fiat 500, it's got a proven drivetrain, it's turbocharged, it's got power, it's got a, a modern six-speed automatic, it's got four-wheel disc brakes, it's got ABS, it's got traction control, it's got stability program, it has, um, you know, all the, the regular stuff people want, power windows, power locks, cruise, air conditioning. It does not have auto start-stop. It doesn't have automatic braking. It doesn't have lane departure warning. So it's got the stuff that people want without all the frills, but it's still a modern, safe car. It's got eight airbags or whatever in it. It's got, you know, it's got all the stuff that, that you should have in a modern car. And, that kind, and, and the price is, you know, 15 grand or 16 so, grand. Right. It, it, and yeah, because you, you alluded to that uh, in the past. But the thing is, unfortunately... We have the uh, the big two and the little the little one like Chrysler, whatever they're called today. Chevrolet, I, I, I don't even know if they even still make the Sonic. We well, they had the Spark and the Sonic, which were their two Asian rebadged, you know, Econo boxes, which looked like an Econo box, you know. Right, but but Ford, they only have the Mustang. So no, if, Ford has nothing. If, they have the Escape, if, maybe. If General Motors and Ford have to scramble to come to market with a car again, it's going to be just like the Ford, like the Ford Pinto and the Chevy Vega. They scrambled because of the um, the gas crisis, and now they're going to 
scramble because of the Corona uh, thing where we need inexpensive cars. But guess who's still making cars? The, the Koreans and the Japanese yeah. are still making cars. And that's, they're all, again, once Well, again, the Europeans are too, but it's it's hard right. to, but you know, they don't have the foothold here. Both, that. But, but like Volkswagen cars, are they're, they're endless money pits. Yeah. The, the, the Japanese and the Koreans have have us beat again. Well, we'll we'll have to see what happens. That's uh, you know something that we could talk about in a in an episode farther down the line. But that's why our man in the field is with us today. We like to uh, once again thank Roger Rexford for uh, coming up with the topic cars that define a decade. We pretty much worked through everything here. And if you like what you hear on the Car Guys Report, when you listen to us online, um, you can uh, catch us anywhere. You can get us on opishows.com or wherever you find your favorite podcast. Just search for Radio Misfits. You can also search directly for the Car Guys Report. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeart, Google Play, Stitcher, and TuneIn. Please rate us when you listen to us. We'd certainly like to have a few more five-star reviews and also please subscribe you'll get an automatic push notification whenever there's new content which is once a week and just remember any podcast that you listen to from the radio misfits podcasting network is entirely free and it's listening on your own terms whether you're listening on your tablet your tablet your uh desktop your laptop your phone you can fast forward you can rewind you can replay you can delete you can do whatever you want whenever you want that's what podcasting is all about and that's what we do here at the car guys report informed automotive mark vernon along with uh roger rexroad lou costable uh taking a couple days off and uh, don't forget though too that Lou has a very popular YouTube channel called My Car Story with Lou. Over 1,500 1500 to 1,700 car videos on there, 70,000 subscribers. Be sure to check it out. Some very, very interesting, entertaining, and cool cars that you'll see nowhere else other than on My Car Story with Lou. Coming up on the next episode of the Car Guys Report, Lou will continue to take a breather while I fly solo, so you'll have to put up with me for a couple of episodes. Lots more great car stuff on the next episode of the Car Guys Report, Informed Automotive. Roger, thank you once again for uh, coming into the uh, studio remotely today on the Car Guys Report. Looking forward to uh, getting your continued texts and messages as our man in the field, and uh, we'll have to uh, get you on the program again soon, too. So thanks so much. Great. Thanks, Roger. Certainly do appreciate it. And thank you for uh, taking the time to listen to the Car Guys Report, Informed Automotive. Special thanks to executive producer Tony Lasano with OpiShows.com. Opie is hippo, spelled backwards, O-P-P-I-H, shows.com. Distributed by Ed Silha with Radio Misfits. Great Talk Radio isn't dead, it just moved to a better place, and that would be radiomisfits.com. This OPI podcast was recorded at an earlier date. Some material may be outdated and or mentioned under different circumstances. Consult your local health authorities for the latest on COVID-19. The proceeding was a presentation of OPI Productions. Find our other great shows wherever you find podcasts, including opishows.com. 
Thank you. This has been a presentation of Old Pie Productions. Tony, can you shut up? What do you get when you hear a, a celebrity minutiaman interview, Dave? You will get Mark Cuban and Anthony Scaramucci, Cousin Oliver from the Brady Bunch and the bully from the Christmas Story. Yes. The voice of Siri and She Shed Cheryl. My God, it list goes on. So you'll get Minutia, Celebrity Minutiaman Interview, a Tony Lasano podcast. Go to opishows.com or wherever you find podcasts. Just search for Radio Misfits. If you're a fan of the English Premier League, you'll want to check out Free Kicks with Adam and Rick. As you can hear by his accent, Adam is from England originally. Chelsea fan, if you must know. And he's also an expert in soccer tactics and methods. He's the director of coaching for the Illinois Youth Soccer Association. So obviously, he has some incredible insights into the game. Tune in every week. We're on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. A Tony Lasano podcast, an Opie show, and because it's soccer, we never use our hands. Radiomisfits.com Coming up on the next episode of the Car Guys Report, Informed Automotive, it's a quick look at the Morgan Aero Supersport. Is it ugly or sublime? Plus, special commentary on the automotive publishing industry. I'm Mark Vernon. Join me as I drive solo for a couple episodes for these stories and more on the Car Guys Report, a Tony Lasano podcast, an Opie production on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network.